This is David Weiss for the Daily Worker Placement, and you're listening to The Game Changers. Episode 14, End of Game Scoring. Magic the Gathering. Catan. Ticket to Ride. Twilight Struggle. Agricola. Dominion. The Resistance. Cards Against Humanity. Love Letter. Gloomhaven. Ganz schön clever. Wingspan. Twelve games. Are they my favorite of all time? Not at all. Are there games I wish I could have included just so that I could share my love of them? You bet. Are there important designers missing? Dozens. But even now... Reading down this list, I really can't think of a better set of games that define the art of tabletop game design over the past 30 years. Almost exactly a year ago, I uploaded the first episode of The Game Changers, and now with this episode, I've completed this project of telling the story of the art form of modern tabletop. But this project actually began almost two years ago, when I realized that, to my knowledge, no one had yet written an in-depth history of these games. Not just the games on this list, but the art form in general. Yes, there were individual books about magic and Euro games and war games, but no one had ever tried to cover the entire range and put them into some kind of coherent historical context. I drew inspiration from Scott McCloud's groundbreaking 1993 book, Understanding Comics, which forced me, and I'm sure thousands of others, to look at cartoons as something unique, an art form with its own history and lexicon. I realized that I had the background knowledge to try to do the same thing for a tabletop. Once I had the idea for scaffolding the list with 12 game-changing games, it kind of wrote itself. The only hard part, really, was deciding where to draw the line between pre-modern and modern tabletop, and where to start telling the story. I mean, while Catan is usually chosen as the shot heard round the tabletop world, to me, the first game of the modern era had to be Magic the Gathering, otherwise I would have had to reach all the way back to Dungeons & Dragons to get the last major innovation in tabletop design, role-playing games, and I knew that starting there would be biting off way more than I could chew. I spent a couple of months researching and polishing the first three chapters and felt pretty good about how things were shaping up. This was a story worth telling, even if only a handful of people ended up hearing it, or no one, which was pretty unusual for me, the feeling that I had something unique to say and contribute. And although it started as a book, after those first few months, I decided I had a much better chance of it actually being heard than being read. Uh, So I retooled it as a podcast, and thus began the Game Changers podcast, season one, because why not be optimistic? And I sent my stuff out into the void. I admit it, despite trying not to, I kind of hoped that at some point through this season the Game Changers would take off and I would have what I imagined would be the delicious feeling of being on the crest of some kind of viral popularity, or at least more people might support us on Patreon. 
I'm sure everyone who starts a podcast or an Instagram feed or a TikTok or a YouTube channel has the same hopes, but in my case, that didn't happen, or more optimistically, that hasn't happened yet. I mean, listenership has snuggled into a steady hundred or so people, and if you're one of those hundred people who have been tuning in every two weeks, thank you especially the precious few of you who joined us on Patreon or took the trouble to email me at the Daily Worker Placement with kind words. Thank you so much. It's nice to be heard. So, did I learn anything from this historical exercise? Well, the one thing I learned was that, without exception, the designers of these game-changing games had passion, and they had perseverance. Whether it was Alan R. Moon laboring away for two decades making the kind of games he loved to play until he hit the jackpot with Ticket to Ride, or Seiji Kanai going back again and again, pruning away everything extraneous until he came up with Love Letter, or Elizabeth Hargrave, who overcame the cluelessly unwelcoming spaces of playtesting groups in the development of Wingspan, game-changing tabletop artists aren't in it for the money. I mean, the money's nice when it comes, if it comes, but it doesn't keep them going. They're in it out of the love of play, and trying to find new stories and new ways of telling stories through games, whether they are conscious of that or not, and whether it is explicit or not. The other thing I learned, or rather confirmed, is that tabletop is an art form in its creative process, in the evolution of the industry and its marketing, and in the tensions between creativity and commerce, and between who I called the keepers and the changers uh, in episode 13. Looking back, I think I did a pretty good job of showing the parallels in the creative process between tabletop art and other art forms. That's also why I often try to find analogies between the designers on my list and famous artists in other fields, but... I think I should have spent more time deconstructing just how the experience of playing a tabletop game corresponds to what it's like to watch a movie or walk around a sculpture. The later episodes got harder for a few reasons. One, there wasn't as much information out there about newer games and designers. There's shockingly little biographical info about many designers. Most interviews tended to go straight to the games themselves. I mean, if I were interviewing someone like Wolfgang Varsch, I'd like to ask a lot more about his early life, like what clubs he belonged to, where he used to hang out, what video games he liked to play, and stuff like that. The other reason I've touched on, which is the closer we get to the present, the harder it is to put things into a historical context. There's just not as much history. The third reason is personal and has to do with the fact that I happened to begin this project at the beginning of a year which joins 2001 and 1968 as one of the most tumultuous and depressing years of the post-World War II era. I just had a harder and harder time motivating myself to do anything, not just the podcast. Writing and recording was never exactly a chore, but increasingly it felt like wading through molasses. 
Some weeks, such as during the George Floyd protests, it just felt ridiculously insignificant and irrelevant. I mean, here I was pecking away at my keyboard, writing about these games, and meanwhile people were marching and getting beat up and arrested for standing up for basic human rights and justice. I mean, who cares about tabletop when neckbeards with Camp Auschwitz hoodies are storming the Capitol at the behest of the President of the United States? And, of course, the pandemic made face-to-face -face gaming with my friends impossible. It's actually pretty miraculous that we have digital platforms like Tabletop Simulator and Board Game Arena to serve as surrogates, but for me, it's just not the same, even with Discord voice chat going. But with all that, even with all that, I only played about a third as many games in 2020 as I did in 2019. So, on the one hand, having the self-imposed structure of producing half an episode per week did give my otherwise shapeless lockdown life some structure, but on the other hand, I feel burnt out and really feel I need to take a break. I'm proud of what I've put together over this past year, but I need some time away from this treadmill to just play and enjoy games without worrying about getting my ducks in a row for the next podcast. How long that break will be, I don't know. I do have ideas for themes for possible season twos and beyond. Um, forgotten favorites, most important designers, most influential publishers, the realities of running a friendly local game store brick and mortar, or a Kickstarter campaign, or a small tabletop publishing company or a series on those dirty laundry issues I mentioned in the second half of the Wingspan episode. After I've had time to recharge and reflect, maybe one of those ideas will make the most sense, or maybe some other concept will present itself. In the meantime, it feels good to have finished what I think of as a first draft of the history of a very special art form. Tabletop has been a constant in my life, from my childhood days sitting at the chessboard with my Uncle Steve, sparking my love of history in my teenage wargaming years, enriching my teaching career, and blessing me with a solid group of friends in my adulthood. What happens next, to Tabletop or to me, is anyone's guess, but if in listening to this series you've learned about a game that you've gone out and played and enjoyed, or you've gained new respect for a game that you may have dismissed because it's not your cup of tea, or you've begun to look at Tabletop as an art form in a new way, then I feel like I've done my job. So take care of yourselves and see you soon. That was episode 14 of season one of The Game Changers. I'm David Weiss for The Daily Worker Placement. Thanks for listening. And for the last time, don't flip that table.